Isn't freedom kind of an interesting concept? I mean, it's one of those things that, that we, especially we as Americans, we love to talk about. We love to experience freedom. And sometimes when we think of freedom, what we think of is it's this, it's, we're, we're free from tyranny. We're free from oppression, right? I mean, when we go back to the, the start of the revolution, we desired freedom because the British were uh, seeming to uh, just continue to put their thumb and to squash us. They, they, they wanted to, to hold us under their control. And we were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are way far away. We don't have any voice in what you're saying to us. We want freedom. And so we think of, as, as, that, as that thought of freedom has expanded these days, freedom, freedom has kind of expanded this expression of, I want to be who I want to be, right? I want to live my truth. And Americans, we, we tend to promote freedom as the ultimate good. Like wherever we go in the world, whenever we get involved in international uh, disputes, we're always like, we're here to provide freedom. It's, it's kind of like what we do. In fact, Robert Bella, he, he's a, 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 a survey guy. He's a, he's, he's a kind of a social scientist. He discovered that for Americans, freedom was the most important value. As he took a, 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 a poll of all of, of many, many Americans, many, many citizens of our country, freedom was like the most important value. And in the words of Stanley, uh, we understand that with great power comes great responsibility. What does this freedom mean? We think of freedom as being able to cast off restraint. We think of freedom as, as being able to live who I want to be, what, do what I want to do. And so if you allow me a moment to quote a Scandinavian philosopher, uh, she said, no rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. And I, when, when, when Frozen first came out, I thought, oh, that's just kind of a cute song. But the more that I've thought about it, there's... Those two lines right there explain a lot of what might be wrong with our country. As we just cast off this restraint, we want to live in freedom. And we don't want anyone holding us down. We don't want anyone holding us back. We want us to do whatever we want to do. And and sometimes uh, not having guardrails sounds like a great idea until you get to a place where you would really like to have some guardrails. As humans, humans, we are the only creatures in all of creation who have self-determining freedom. We're the only creatures on earth that don't purely live on this primal drive for, uh, for, for pleasure, for survival. And so, so think about how that would play out in if like all creature, creatures, all animals had the same self-determining freedom that we did. So picture this. Take your normal run-of-the-mill coyote family. Mrs. Coyote does not ask Mr. Coyote, hey, would you like to have rabbit or squirrel for dinner? I mean, they, they, do, they do not have these conversations, right? I mean, I mean well, what is it? And he, you know, Mr. Coyote sits back and like, honey, whatever you choose will be fine. What, 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 whatever you feel like, whatever we have. No, no, that's not how it goes. How does a coyote choose dinner? Whatever it sees, whatever it catches, whatever it kills. That's what's for dinner, right? I mean, they go to the fridge and go, hmm, what do we have? You know, are going to have fish? Are we going to have steak? Are we going to have chicken? Are we going to have pasta? No, no, no. It's like, if I see it and can catch it and can kill it, that's what I'm eating. Only humans have self-determining freedom. And then, so as we look at scripture, scripture describes the, this battle for freedom in us as this battle between flesh and spirit. 
That the flesh side of us runs much like the coyotes. Whatever uh, best works in our body for these primal drives for survival, for security, for pleasure, for for once, for self-gratification. What the flesh often calls freedom, scripture calls slavery or sin. We are enslaved by whatever has mastered us. And we have seen the effects of, of living with unchecked freedom. I mean, just sit back and read the newspaper, watch TV. We see what the effects are of living with unchecked freedom. It's resulted in the rise of addictions as we continue to become slaves to our own desires. Augustine said this, free choice is sufficient for evil, but hardly for good. Free choice is sufficient for evil, but hardly for good. If we are just left to our own devices, just to sit back and choose whatever we want without thoughts of guardrails and boundaries, we will find ourselves degrading ourselves into greater and greater amounts of evil. See, our world has redefined oppression as anything that keeps me from doing what I want to do. What's the motto of our time? The motto of our time is to thine own self be true. Polonius said that in Hamlet. Do you know who Polonius is? He was the one who was known as a fool. He, he was not the wise character in Hamlet. He was the fool. But yet our culture, our society quotes this like gospel, right? To, my, to thine own self be true. I, I'm going I'm to live out my truth. As we cast off restraint, as we cast off, as we, as we try to live in unchecked freedom, we find ourselves going further and further down the road of destruction. Dostoevsky in his book, The Brothers Karamazov said this, God and the devil are fighting and fighting there and the battlefield is the heart of men. God and the devil are fighting there and the battlefield they're fighting on is the heart of men. The battlefield for the heart. And how we fight to, so that we can overcome these deceitful ideas that the, that the devil keeps bringing, to, to work against, the, this, to work to disorder God's given desires in our soul. So how can we find peace when there is this war going on within us? How can we find peace when there's this battle for our heart? If you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to some words that Paul shared with his friends in Ephesus. Of all the places that Paul traveled, of all the churches that he planted, uh, the, the, his friends in Ephesus were probably among the closest he had. He, he probably stayed there longer than uh, many of his other place, churches. It's, it's kind of believed if you kind of work out a timeline of Paul's life, he may have lived in Ephesus for about three years. Uh, in fact, he's traveling by one time and he was, uh, b- before he got to stay, he was hoping to, he's like, I-, I hope I can come back and stay longer. So he just kind of did this, this little drive by. He came back, stayed for three years. And even on his last uh, trip home before, as he's going back to Jerusalem, as he knows he's going to be arrested and, and will probably end up facing trial. He uh, knows that he, he needs to stop in one more time, but he can't go all the way to Ephesus. And so the people from Ephesus come down to the shore to meet him. His friends in Ephesus, he has this great heart for. And he's reminding them in this letter of the promises that God has for them. And he reminds them of the battle that takes place for the hearts of men. And when we look at this battle that Paul describes, it looks very similar to the battle that we face on a daily basis. And this is what Paul writes for us. 
As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We see this transformation. We see uh, this, the, the battle lines being drawn and as we, as we see, we see that there's this, uh, re- the reality of our previous position. Paul's writing to a group of believers, those who have already chosen, chosen Jesus as their savior. And he says, your previous position were that you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. You had, uh, you, you had, no, you were not winning the battle. You were not winning the war. You were dead. I mean, five out of five people say that alive is a better condition than dead, right? I mean, if we take, if we take a poll, uh, you know, all of us are going to say, I think, you know, in fact, Hey, how are you doing today? Well, I woke up on the right side of the dirt. Have you ever said that I'm, I'm vertical and taking nourishment? You know, maybe, maybe there are certain statements that we've made just kind of making light of the fact that, Hey, I'm, a, I'm alive and alert today. But there's a time, there's a place when we were dead in our sins. And we realized that all of a sudden we came to our senses and realized that dead was not a good place for us to be. And this came about because at that time we were following the ruler of the air. Now we might not necessarily have been able to uh, identify it as that at the time. I mean, we we don't have to teach our children to sin, right? We don't have to teach our children uh, to be selfish. They babies are just kind of naturally that way. And it's kind of okay because that's the way they tell us what they need. Hey, I'm hungry. Hey, I'm dirty. Hey, I need to sleep. And so how do they communicate? They scream real loud, and then it's just a guessing game, right? Which one is it? You just, you just, and so as long as you don't get the bottle in the wrong place, we're okay. You know, you you, you got to make sure the right things go in the right spot, and then we're we're, we're all right. I remember uh, when uh, Saray was, I mean, just like hours old, and uh, we were we, we we checked everything, but the diaper, and I had so oh man, I was patting her bottom, and it was it was tarred and it was awful. Father fail. Uh, you know, but, but, but I mean, she's like, "Hey, I got a problem. I need you to help me fix it." That's how. That's, that's how babies are. And so we don't have to teach. We don't have to teach children to be selfish. Like, hey, here's my problem. Here's what I need. And, and sometimes that's a good thing because they're, they're communicating with us. But sometimes it can be become a negative thing, and so we can begin to just follow after what we want and our desires, and instead of following after what is best for us. He said, previously, we chose to live our lives according to a different standard, a different pattern. So what do the parents do? The parents begin to enforce boundaries, right? This is nap time. So when it's nap time, it's time to go down to sleep. When it's meal time, it's time to eat. This, he, here, here's a structure to our 
life. And God has done that for us as well with scripture, right? Here's, here's structure. Here's the boundaries. Here's what's good and right and pleasing. And here's what is wrong and sinful and destructive. So previously, we chose to live according to a different standard, a different pattern. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't he? He, he's coming through and, and he's talking, he's talked about the, about the law and he's talking about how we uh, live out our righteousness, how we live out our faith. And then he gets to the end and he's, he's kind of getting to the point where he, you have to make a choice in your life. And he says, there are, there are two gates, there are two roads. One of them is, is broad. There's a, there's this wide gate and, and it's, there's a lot of people on it. You've got a lot of uh, traveling companions. I mean, it's trampled down. It's smoothed out. I mean, they've, they've paved the thing. I mean, and if, if there's so many people are choosing that way, it can't be wrong, right? I mean, if, if, if everybody's doing it, that, that option can't, can't possibly be wrong, can it? That wide gate, that wide road is so broad, it's inviting. Man, if I, if I choose that, I'm going to have many companions. But Jesus said, he says, hey, enter through the narrow gate because the wide gate, well, it's broad. It, 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 many people are there, but it leads, leads to destruction. Leads to destruction. Those of us who, who, those who follow after the ruler of the air, those who follow in that, in that way are only going to find themselves leading their life towards destruction. So Paul's like, hey, we, 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 he, he's not belittling the Ephesians. In fact, he labels himself among them. Here's, here's all of us. All of us at one point, we lived among them, right? Our number one desire was to gratify the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. At one point, our only thought was looking out for number one. What's best for me? What do I want? And so whenever we see that word craving, and whenever we see the word desires in scripture, how many of you ever think that's positive? No, we always think that's negative, right? But really, if you look at the word, if you look at the idea of cravings and desires, it's neutral. It's a neutral word. It, it's neither good nor bad. It, it's, it's what we do with those cravings and desires that makes it positive or negative, right? I mean, when it's mealtime, you have a craving for food. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Probably a good thing. I mean, we need to keep the machine going, right? We need to feed our bodies so that our bodies continue to be strong and healthy. But if, if you sit down at the table for lunch day and you eat and you continue to eat from like, you know, noon or whenever you start, like all the way to like 10 o'clock tonight and you just never stop eating, at, at some point, that's not a good thing, right? I mean, at some point, you got to stop eating. You know, so, so, the, so the cravings, the desires, they, they are actually neutral, but how we handle them, how we engage them, what we do with them, what we do with them, that's what makes them good or bad. He said, Paul's like, hey, you guys aren't in a unique situation. We were all like this. We all gratify the cravings of our flesh. So we, when we begin to take cravings and desires that are naturally neutral, that are naturally, you know, that, that, that are normal, and we put them out of balance, Immediately, we can think of addictions in our, in our, in our, in our country, in our, in our area. We can think of the bad habits that maybe we have or those around us have. It's when we've, we take these cravings and desires and make them more than they are, that that's when they become evil and destructive. See, a lot of times, sometimes you can even do the, the same thing with, with morality. You can even do the same thing with, 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 with religious traditions. We can begin to put, we can begin to build things, build uh, uh, thoughts and structures in our life upon things that, that are not 
uh, as important as maybe they, are, they really are. And so when we begin to build things on a weak foundation, all of a sudden when one of those pillars, when one of the, that part of our foundation gets cut out, all of a sudden our whole faith can get shaken. So we need to make sure that as we put things in their right place, as we, as we uh, think of the things that we chase after, as the things we pursue, do we have things in the proper order of priority? So as we think about how we handle and respond to cravings and desires, a lot of times as we feed them, we end up wanting them more and more. And sometimes we can even take them beyond what is normal and natural. As we follow these desires, uh, it, it can lead to almost like a rewire. In recent years, uh, they, they've, done, they've been able to do a lot of, they've done some increased study in how our brain works and operates. They've even done this, uh, especially with how our brain works and operates as we use these, uh, even use these devices that we have in our hand, these, these supercomputers that we call phones in our hand as they become more and more important in our life and more and more uh, intertwined in our life, how does repeated use of these phones, how does it change the pa- our patterns of behavior? And they find that, uh, and this has been true even before we had uh, 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 smartphones, is that the, uh, the, the things that we do, the habits that we create, the, the more we, the, 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 as we do them, as they become greater patterns of behavior, they create neural pathways that make it easier for us to follow them over time. So if you do a certain thing and you do it repeatedly, 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 it's like, it's like your, your brain is, is creating this groove, this rut in your, in your mind, in your, in, kind of in your systems that when this happens, you do this thing. Think of Pavlov's dog, right? Bell rings, mouth salivates, they're wanting food. Eventually, they would ring the bell and the mouth would salivate and they wouldn't put food there. But the dog was so wired to respond to a bell by salivating that that groove was there, expecting food. Uh, There's a a, a, a law of neuroscience called Hebb's Law. And what it says is that cells that fire together, wire together. So so I, I hear the bell, you know, I, you know, I, I end up seeing the food and so I salivate and all of a sudden these things just connect. And once they get connected, it's hard to unbreak them. Have you ever had a bad habit you're trying to break? And like, you, you, maybe you're good for a while because willpower can take over for so long and you, 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 you feel like you almost got it broken and then all of a sudden you fall. All of a sudden you, you, you fall prey to what you once thought you had defeated. It takes a lot of hard work to break bad habits, to create new and better patterns of behavior. Because every time we sow to the flesh, every time we live in unchecked freedom, we etch a path in our neural pathway that makes it easier to follow that path to sin again. Paul says these old patterns of behavior, the following after this, the, 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 the sinful desires of the flesh, these cravings that we have that made us loving of wrath. It made us, uh, it may, maybe your, your version says it made us objects of wrath. That as we followed those, as, as we lived in this life of sin, God can't uh, bless, <coughs> excuse me, God can't bless a life of sin. God can't bless us when we are living apart from his plan, his, uh, his way. In fact, in God, in his holiness, in his justness, his justness, you know, you're saying about that in Sweetly Broken, that God is just. 
That means God has to punish sin. He has to punish sin. So he, his, his options are either punish the sinner or he his wrath on Jesus so that the sinner can come before him in, in freedom. He says, we were by nature deserving of wrath because we followed after the and thoughts and cravings of our flesh. In the end, that road leads to destruction. The, 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 the end game of sin is destruction. It, seeks, it only seeks to, to destroy us from the inside out. And there becomes like this, this slow erosion in us, right? Where, where what we once thought was wrong, we slowly see it become normalized and accepted. Maybe you've seen this in culture. Maybe you've seen this, and uh, maybe even in things in, in your life. You're like, oh, we, there are certain things we once thought that was wrong, and maybe we were wrong to think it was wrong. Maybe we were right to think it was wrong, and over time things change. Maybe we've seen things in our world that we would never thought would be normalized and accepted, and sometimes that's Satan's ploy, right? It's, it's Satan's way of doing things. He uses deceptive ideas that play to disordered desires that are then normalized in sinful society. And last week we talked about the battle for the mind. We talked about the, the, the way that we, we overcome this battle for the mind is that we are rooted and established in Christ, that we, we, we find our life in him and, and we begin to use him as the pattern for our life. And so if, if those things that Jesus says and does, those are the things that we need to pursue. We need to pursue a relationship with him. And as we pursue a relationship with him, it then helps us to be able to weigh and judge the, 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 the cravings and desires and the things that come our way, we can go, oh, that seems to be right. That seems to be wrong. And so once we face the battle of our mind, we then have to battle for our heart. Those, disordered, those desires that are maybe even natural in us, do we give them too much weight? Do we give them too much um, authority in our life? And so we move from this battle of the mind to the battle of our hearts. And Satan begins to disorder and distort our desires. So we take our eyes off what is most important. And as we do so, as we lean into those disordered desires, we become, Paul says, by nature, objects of wrath. But then there's these two words, two words that kind of change everything, right? It's words, but God. But because of his great love for us, God. God shows up. He, he does not allow us to remain as objects of wrath. He provides a way out for us. I mean, God could, God could look at us and say, y'all messed up and, and, and there's no hope for you, right? I mean, he had, he, he's perfect. He's holy. He can look at us and go, uh, no hope for you. You gone. But God loves us unconditionally because of his great love for us. He does, he does not desire for us to be He wants us to be objects of his love because of his great love for us. God shows us his mercy which means he does not give to us that which we deserve. So have you, maybe your home was like my home growing up. Maybe you, maybe you were a little bit ornery. Maybe you got yourself into a little bit of trouble here and there. And, and mom would say these words, just wait until your father gets home. Those were never good words to hear, right? I mean, I mean, my, 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 my cheeks would already start to get pre-warmed before dad even swatted him, right? I mean, they, I, I'm like, oh, I am in trouble. But God, who's rich in mercy, see, we all deserve death. We deserve destruction. We deserve separation from him. 
But what God does in his mercy is he takes the punishment that was due us and withholds it. Dad must have had a good day at work, right? He's like, he, you know, just wait till your father gets home. He, he, he gets home and you're expecting the punishment. And all of a sudden dad's like, I'm going to give you a pass this time. I'm going to give you a pass this time. <gasps> thank you. Right? <laughs> Maybe you're there, like, oh, thank you. <laughs> not, not this time. God, who's rich in mercy, he shows up and he doesn't give us what we deserve. He, just, he postpones our destruction. And he, but then he does much more than that. What does he do? He's not just rich in mercy, but he then turned and made us alive with Christ. That even while we were dead in our transgressions. So he doesn't just postpone the punishment. He gives us something better. It's not just, God's not just a God of mercy. He's also a God of grace. He doesn't just withhold from us what we deserve, but he also gives us what we do not deserve. As objects of wrath, do we deserve life in Christ? No, no, we deserve punishment. You know, our previous position was dead. Now we are alive. And Paul says, it is by this grace that you've been saved. Punishment hasn't just been withheld. No, you've been given a reward. God provides a way for us through Jesus. But Jesus tells us that we still have the choice, right? We have the choice about which way we live, about what we are to do. Are we going to gratify the the, the desires of the flesh? Are we going to to live with our heart fully in line with him? He says, are you going to take the wide road that leads to destruction? Are you going to take that, the other option? I mean, we love options, don't we? I mean, it's like, it's like, do I want a hamburger or do I want a hot dog? Do I want uh, Italian or do I want Mexican? What, what, what do I want for, when it comes to, I mean, do, do I want to drive a Ford or a Chevy? What, 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 what vehicle? What, what we love choices. And can you imagine getting up every day and like only having one, you know, you have to wear that outfit. If I wore that outfit yesterday, you get, that's the outfit you get to wear. If we only had one outfit, how, how, how much would we love that? Not, not so much. So, like, imagine living in Jesus' time where they probably didn't have too many outfits. They probably had like a work outfit and a and, and, and like Sunday best. You know, Saturday, oh, sorry, Saturday best. They, they, they had like two options. Here's why I wear to dress up, and here's why I wear every day. They didn't have options. We probably have clothes in our possession that we hardly ever wear. We love options, and Jesus says you have an option. You have this wide road. It is broad. It is. Paved with, you know, there are companions. A lot of people are taking, it's probably been paved and smooth and, and just, it's like the freeway to wherever you want to go. It might, you know, and, and it might be the highway to hell. I just, that's, that's not in the notes. It's for free. Yeah, there you go. Jesus said, but there's this other way, right? And he says, the road is small and the road is narrow and you may not always have companions because only a few may find it. It's going to be a little bit rough going. You might walk by yourself for a while, but in the end it leads to life. See, when we choose the narrow way, when we overcome the deceptive ideas that disorder, that distort the disorder desires that the world presents to us, when we push those aside and learn to walk in the way of Jesus, Paul describes that as saying that we have been raised up with Christ. We have been given this new life. And like we were pictured as being seated with him in the heavenly realms. We're given this benefit that, that, that we do not deserve because there are real consequences in the battle for our hearts. Some to destruction, but some are for good. And Paul says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I mean, if it was up to us, right? You know, if, if, if my actions led to my salvation, how do you think I'd be walking here today? Check me out. I'm pretty good. <laughs> Have you heard this thing that I did? Have you seen what I've done? And maybe you'd be the same way, right? If, if it was up to us about our salvation, you might go, hey, look at my ribbons. Look at my medals. Here, look at my resume. Here, here's all the things. Here's why God loves me the best. But we come in today and we realize that, yeah, in the words of Isaiah, all of our works of righteousness are filthy rags. It's all, it's all but a grace that God gives us. Salvation is not from ourselves. It's not because we are good. It's not because we've earned it. It's the gift of God. It's the gift of God in our life is given to us through faith. Faith, not just a mental agreement or mental assent. Like, oh, yes, I agree with God on these tenets. And so because I agree with God in these things, he gives me grace. No, it is because in, in that faith, we have changed allegiances. No longer do we gratify the desires of the sinful nature, the flesh that is in us, but we have turned our attention and we pursue Jesus with a whole heart. And so as we change allegiance, as we, dare I say, repent from our old life to the new, he gives us grace. And in that he gives us salvation. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's only through the working of God in our life that we can be changed from objects of wrath to objects of his love, from, from the path of destruction to the path of life, that we can be then raised up from being dead to be seated with Jesus in the heavenly realms. So if we look at our life, there are some days we fend off the deceitful, uh, the deceptive ideas, right? I mean, there are some days it's like, man, I saw that temptation coming. I heard that and I was able to stand strong. And there are probably other days when we go to bed at night and like, I could not do anything right today. Most days are probably a mixed bag, right? Some wins, some losses. But the only way for us to overcome in this battle for our heart and mind is through the spirit of God being at work in our life and daily choosing allegiance to Jesus. And it's a daily choice because we're still works in progress, right? Anyone here? I'm going to say they're perfect. I mean, I've arrived. God has no more work to do in my. Okay, good. I thought I was going to be the only one not raising my hand. Paul says, we are God's work, handiwork. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. In fact, that word kind of created, probably it's not, but almost is like we're, we're being recreated, right? We, we, he, he's made us. And we kind of break the design and God's got to do his work to recreate in us this image of God in him, in us. He creates in us the, this image of Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. We're all works in progress. Paul said this way to his friends in Philippi. He says, being confident in this, that he who began a good work, that's God who did the, began this good work in you, he's going to carry it on until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day that Jesus comes again or until the day that you leave this earth and go to him. He's going to continue to do his work in your life because you're his workmanship. You're his masterpiece. And he's not quite done with you yet. We're God's workmanship. The spirit that is alive in Christ is alive and at work within us. And when we choose to walk in the way of Jesus, we let his spirit do his work in us. And then and only then can we experience a true freedom that can only come from God. 
Tim Keller said this. He said, freedom is not what the culture tells us. Real freedom comes from the strategic loss of some freedoms in order to gain others. It is not the absence of constraints, but is choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. Freedom isn't just like, I'm free. There are no guardrails. I'm going to be whoever I want to be. That's not freedom. That's anarchy, right? Real freedom comes from going, I'm going to establish this boundary because anything outside of this line is not good. It's not healthy. It's sinful. And I'm going to set a boundary over here because now that over here, things get messy and, and wrong as well. And the, we set proper boundaries, you know, but we don't tell our kids, Hey, yeah, go ahead. And just play in the street. Right. Yeah. Because they play in the street at some point, things may come to destruction. There may be a life lost. Maybe things destroyed. Real freedom comes not from casting off all constraints, but knowing which constraints best put us in a position to grow and to thrive. Choosing the right constraints and the right freedoms to lose. Maybe it's not for me to just be whatever I want to be. Because maybe some of those things do not glorify and honor God. See, if we are enslaved by what masters us, then if, we are follow, then, if we are, then if we are followers of Jesus, we want to be enslaved to him. We want to choose him and his way, not as a, a, as a prisoner, but as an object of his love and grace. That is, we want to choose the restraints of the way of Jesus. And if we do so, we will find ourselves walking more and more in his ways of love. We'll find ourselves loving God more and loving our neighbor more. And when we choose the right constraints, we find ourselves living more at peace, at peace with God and at peace with men. It's not something we do on our own, but it's only through the power of the spirit of God alive and at work within us that will bring this about to reality. Earlier, Paul describes those of us, he describes those who have, who have chosen Jesus, who are walking with Jesus. And he says this, you were uh, included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, when you, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. When we choose Jesus, he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't go, hey, thanks for joining the team. And just, he puts his spirit in us to do the creating us new in him and to give us the power to overcome temptations as they come our way. It's like reinforcements against the ruler of the world. As we walk in the narrow way, God gives us his advocate against the adversary. He gives us reinforcements against the ruler of the world that we are not alone, but by God's grace, he will help us overcome each day. And so here's my challenge for you this week. Maybe it's time for us to identify some of those deceitful ideas and some of the disordered desires that Satan uses to disrupt our peace. Identify. I didn't say, I, I, I noticed this and they, they may be similar for us and they may be different for each of us. And as we f- sort them and seek them as we, as we begin to put those pieces together, look for God's truth to overcome Satan's lies. Look for God's truth to overcome Satan's lies. As we look and as we seek, as we, as we try to d- d- determine them, wh- where's the truth? And Satan will say, 
Hey, now go ahead and eat from that fruit. It's like, God doesn't love you. you know, have you noticed how much wrong you've done? You're, you're an object of wrath. And there's Jesus with his nail pierced hands. The wound in his side, nail scars in his feet. And he says, you are not an object of wrath. You are an object of my love. Walk in that truth. See, we are in a war for our soul and the souls of the people we live and work with. And when we choose to walk in the way of Jesus, he will help us to help others to walk in that way as well. And so maybe today, maybe today is your day to choose Jesus as your savior. Maybe you've been trying to live, you've been trying to cast off the restraints and lived in unfettered freedom. And in so doing, you found that your life is not more peaceful, but it feels like it's more a wreck. So maybe today you need to choose the narrow road that leads to life and not the broad road that leads to destruction. Maybe today you need to make Jesus your savior. So if that's the decision, a decision you need to make today, I'd love to talk with you in the back after the service. Maybe today you, you've, you've been walking in two worlds. Maybe there's a little bit you're over here in the way of the world. You're on the broad road, but then you jump over to the narrow road. And maybe today you need to again declare your loyalty to take next steps in your journey with Jesus. To not only to declare your allegiance to him, but to find the peace, to find that path that leads to peace and freedom in him. If you need to talk to someone today, I'll be in the back. Jim will be in the back. David will be around as well. We'd love to to be able to talk with you and help you as you uh, uh, process and pursue these next steps of faith. You can also let us know if you're joining us at home, you can use the connect card there at the connection page, and you can mark the appropriate box as you come down the connection card there. See, the only way we can overcome the disordered desires of our age is by choosing the way of love found in Jesus and by his grace, become a masterpiece of his design. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the life that you've given us. Father, we thank you that you have met us where we are, that while we were yet objects of wrath, you came and you sought us out. And Father, you desire You desire to raise us up with you to show that we are not objects of wrath, but objects of your love. But Father, through your mercy, you postpone our punishment and through your grace, you raise us to new life. So Father, may we experience that life today. May we truly know peace because we truly know Jesus. And Father, by knowing peace and knowing Jesus, may we share that message with the world so they may know the peace we have in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And we hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.